and welcome to iloveedmontonrealestate.com. My name is Jason Scott and my guest today is Richard Gocher. Uh, Richard is the economic analyst at the Canadian Home Builders Association, Alberta, and he is the uh, director of research for the Edmonton Housing Research Corp. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you very much. Okay, so obviously uh, you have quite a background in economics. Uh, you've been or you were with CMHC, which is the Canadian uh, Mortgage and Housing Corporation, for 25 years. Can you give me your insight as to what you see going on with Edmonton and Alberta's economy right now? Well, I think it's it's a kind of a on the rebound, uh, a, a rather slow rebound or recovery, if you will, after a shock to the system that, that began in 2014 with the uh, dramatic decrease in the uh, world price of oil, which uh, which really impacted the uh, amount of investment uh, going into uh, the energy sector in Alberta. And then that started to spill over into the general economy in 2015, uh, as we started to see some job losses and uh, a fairly big reduction in things like home sales and new home starts. And so now we're starting to see a sort of a, a stabilization, if you will, and a, and a, and a gradual improvement. Right. Now, housing typically will lag what goes on in the economy. Um, so, you know, where do you see the economy going in the next year or two? And, and what impact will that have on housing? Well, if you listen to the forecasters, uh, you know, folks like uh, Todd Hirsch over at ATB, uh, I think the uh, the general consensus is that, uh, that the recession is pretty much in the rearview mirror. The more the question is the, the strength of the recovery. Well, there's a, a big oil conference going on in uh, in Houston this week, and, uh, and of course that's the big discussion: is uh, you know what is OPEC going to do? What are the non OPEC company countries going to do? And uh, you know what's going to happen with the uh, with the world, world price of oil, which does impact uh, investment uh, and spending uh, in in the um, you know in the oil patch uh, in Alberta. And and that's going to uh, you know impact the economy going forward. Now, in terms of uh, migration, you know that's one of the big drivers of housing demand, and we'll get to see the fourth quarter 2016 numbers uh, uh, in a few days from Statistics Canada. And the last time they handed out these numbers, which was uh, back in December, and we saw some pretty sizable out migration to other provinces uh, from Alberta during the third quarter of last year but that was that was offset by uh, record levels of immigration from outside of Canada so that was very helpful yeah. but uh, if we're going to see a strong recovery in housing demand in Alberta you really got to see that out migration to the rest of Canada start to throttle back and that's not really going to happen until you start to see job creation improve and uh, I think that's going to be slow going this year more into next year in terms of the real strength of the recovery. So this year is definitely going to be better than last year and the year before, but uh, I'm not expecting to see a huge changes um, in housing demand. You know, gradual improvement, but uh, but nothing big. Right. Okay. So it's early days on in the recovery. Absolutely. Now, do you think we will see the kinds of investment we saw in the oil sands again? prior to the crash in prices? 
Excellent question. You know, you think back to the boom period, uh, the two, you know, the two boom periods that we had in, in, in Alberta in recent memory in the um, mid 2000s, you know, that 2006, 2007 period that was kind of cut short by the uh, global financial crisis. And then, you know, similar in uh, 2000, you know, 12, 13, 14, you know, we're very high oil prices, uh, you know, a lot of investment. The big energy firms had uh, uh, lots of cash to spend where we're now we're kind of in the opposite situation where where, you know, prices. Yeah, they've improved compared to where they were, say, in 2015, but they're they're still not at the level where you're going to see, you know, massive injections of cash into the oil sand sector, um, you know, largely because of the costs involved versus uh, where the global price is right now and where it's expected to be, you know, over the near term. So I think that the important point is that that the bleeding has stopped right you know, right like uh, we heard about this you know play, particularly in calgary that uh, you know all kinds of people being let go and job losses and vacant office space and you know, all these uh, terrible things where we're now the situation is stabilized uh, you know we've seen some improved earnings uh, from uh, the energy sector all good things but uh, that world price uh, still is far away from the kind of levels where you're going to start to see the massive kinds of investment we saw you know in the oil sands uh, you know a few years ago and I guess the question is you know will it ever get there now with uh, with all the the uh, tight oil uh, plays uh, going on both in Canada and the United States. Uh, you know, will we see that kind of big investment uh, in the oil oil sands? As it's kind of a it's a good question, but it's kind of hard hard to say from, from where we're sitting today. Right. Okay. So I mean, a person could say that hey, you know, as long as we're getting some growth, you can be in sort of like a Goldilocks economy where it's not a boom situation or a bust situation. That's that's actually probably ideal for you know your average person and uh, people who are trying to get into the housing market and, and buy their first home or move up in homes. That's an excellent point, Jason, because, you know, you think back, you know, 2006, 2007, and more recently in, you know, 2012, 13, where we, we saw some pretty brisk price increases in, uh, in both new homes and existing homes, particularly in the previous decade. And, you know, this was, this was not good for uh, the overall economy and for people trying to find a place to live where, where now there's, you know, really good supply out there. You know, if you're a buyer and you're looking, you know, for pretty much any type of product, there's lots of selection out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, prices are, are quite attractive compared to uh, locations like uh, Vancouver, Victoria, Toronto. So, you know, for people wanting to get into the market, you know, it's definitely a lot better situation than it was a few years ago. Right. Now, we haven't seen prices come down very much given you know the the hit that uh, the economy did take here and and you know obviously Edmonton is a little more diversified than Calgary is but you know where do you see pricing on on homes going in the next year uh, well you know the economy has like as you you've pointed out you know we haven't seen kind of job losses in the Edmonton region that uh, that they've seen in Calgary and uh, prices have uh, held up uh, reasonably well for both uh, you know, new and existing homes. 
home builders really haven't seen much of a price increase over a little while, so they've seen some margin compression. Uh, they'd probably like to see a, a bit of a tighter market and see, uh, you know, resale prices, uh, you know, start to start to get back where you know their long-term behavior kind of matches the inflation rate. But the inflation rate right now is is fairly low, so you know. A lot, a lot, of course, will will depend on you know interest rates and and migration as as we go forward. You know, is the Fed going to raise rates in the states? Are we going to start to see mortgage rates uh, creep up? You know, as you we talked about earlier, there's uh, you know changes to uh, the mortgage market out there that's uh, going to have an impact on first time buyers. So uh, you know, I could see prices. You know, they they've been stable. We might. See see a bit of price inflation. But right now, when you look at the sales to active listing ratio, it's still relatively low. There's still a fair amount of supply out there, particularly in condo apartments, particularly in new condo apartments. And uh, that inventory is going to uh, make the market very competitive. Right. How are home builders reacting? Are they you know, scaling back on the number of builds they're doing? Well, it, it kind of depends on on the sector that you're looking at. Uh, the uh, you know lower lower density product, which uh, which tends to react uh, more rapidly to conditions because they can they can get started uh, uh, pretty fast on singles and semis, uh, less so on apartments. Those numbers are starting to show some improvement after uh, after some weak. Uh, Periods in uh, you know the last year, year and a half, where apartments were very strong right up until sort of the latter part of last year, and um, you know, that that industry tends to be more cyclical, and uh, so we're going to see a slowdown now in apartments because there's a you know a fairly sizable inventory, particularly uh, the uh, high-rise uh, condos uh, downtown, and and that market tends to be highly cyclical where you'll get a lot of activity and then uh, and then you get a, a bit of a slowdown so in terms of new builds uh, new buildings coming out of the ground uh, you know that's I would think this year would be where you see builders take a bit of a breather but then they'll probably get started you know uh, you know maybe later this year more into next year with an eye of uh, you know what the market's going to be looking like you know a year and a half from now considering you know the amount of time it takes to get uh, a high-rise building done so you know, right now, lots of supply in the, uh, you know, in the apartment sector. Everything else doesn't look too bad, you know, fairly balanced. Right. Okay. Now, you had a very, very long history with CMHC. And uh, in October, uh, CMHC and the Department of Finance came out with new rules around qualifying for insured mortgages. So anytime someone is putting a down payment of less than 20% down, instead of qualifying at, you know, whatever the actual mortgage interest rate was, people are now subjected to a stress test. And these days, that rate is 4.64%. And what it's meant is that people qualify for a whole lot less. Typically, it's around 20% less than what they would have otherwise qualified for. What's your take on why those that rule change came into effect? <laughs> 
Well, you know, you, you've already you've already pointed out, Jason. Uh, you know, the uh, sort of the net effect of this is uh, we've got about twenty percent of you know of new home buyers uh, are, are either now sitting on the sidelines for a while as they uh, as gather more equity uh, to put into the house, or they're having to shop down market. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, the federal government when it brings in these types of rule changes, it's a one size fits all, right? You know, they see problems in uh, the lower mainland and in Toronto, markets that are overheating. And so they end up uh, bringing out, uh, you know, a policy that, to address, you know, overheating in certain markets and, uh, and then slower markets end up being blindsided, and uh, now I understand there's other concerns uh, at finance about uh, you know uh, debt levels and and all these sorts of things. But uh, the net effect is that uh, you know as your industry is already seeing, it's it's much tougher to get uh, uh, to get first time buyers uh, qualified to get them uh, into housing. People are having to uh, either you know delay purchase or uh, at uh, something that's uh, more modest. So when you look at you know price behavior, um, you know in in the in the new building industry, you're seeing, um, if, for example, in single family housing, uh, a lot more sales now in both Calgary and Edmonton in homes under four hundred thousand dollars, because uh, people are having a tougher time um, you know closing the deal, right? So the building industry is adjusting accordingly and bringing more uh, modestly priced product. Uh, out of the market to serve uh, people who uh, two years ago could have qualified for something bigger or more expensive. Right. Or closer to downtown. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, you know, I, I look at the rule change and I go, okay, well, if this is meant to cool Toronto and Vancouver, uh, in those two cities, your average house price or single family home is over a million dollars. You cannot get mortgage default insurance on properties that are worth more than a million dollars. <laughs> so I'm kind of confused as to whether or not you know the government actually thinks this would be effective in reining prices back in those two cities. Well, sometimes you know it's a matter of uh, you know governments need to be seen to be doing something. Uh, uh, out in uh, British Columbia, uh, Christy Clark, you know, brought in rules to tighten up on uh, you know foreign buyers in the uh, Lower Mainland, and uh, we've seen sales in the uh, Greater Vancouver area definitely drop off. But on the other side, we're seeing uh, price inflation in places like uh, Victoria, that's uh, nearby, and um, and so one can assume that uh, you know foreign investors are uh, moving to other locations to uh, you know to avoid uh, to avoid the tax so you know in the Alberta situation and in Edmonton in particular the rental market right now is extremely well supplied and rents aren't increasing so so that's uh, you know you you don't have people that are uh, being you know, encouraged to look at uh, home ownership because their rental accommodation is getting way too expensive. So that situation has to change, uh, you know, for for sales to pick up, right? And I think that that's something that we'll see gradually uh, as the supply of rental unit, you know, relative to household creation, you know, starts to tilt the balance towards the landlords so that, uh, you know, we start to see some uh, rent increases again, and that will encourage people to buy. But I think that's more down 
down the road, probably 2018. So this is kind of a transition year where, uh, you know, the markets start to see some improvement, but it's uh, it's still going to be relatively slow uh, compared to the kind of boom periods that we saw recently. Right. Okay. Now, if you were, uh, say, someone approaching retirement age, presumably if there is now a smaller supply of potential buyers for your home because it's now harder for them to uh, qualify or a mid a mid career person can't move up because they can't find first time buyer to buy the mid range home. Uh, surely that has an impact on the equity of people who are looking to to retire and downsize. Well, I think that's you know if, if you're asking yourself, well, you know, how does this policy impact places like you know like Toronto? That's exactly where the impact comes. Right? Is that it's not the people uh, you know that are buying the uh, you know the entry level people buying million dollar houses. It's the people that are trading up into the million dollar house and uh, they're trying to sell their uh, condominium and people are now having a tougher time qualifying. So, you know, it's going to have an impact, right? And, uh, you know, at, at CHBA, I do a I do a survey twice a year of builders on their expectations for housing starts in the year ahead. And, uh, you know, the last forecast we did was, uh, you know, a couple of months ago for the current year. And builders aren't really expecting to see uh, any improvement in house building this year compared to last year. And that was one of the reasons why is that uh, they knew that, uh, you know, sales are going to be tougher because, you know, a lot of their potential customers are people that are already in existing homes and they'll have to sell that home in order to buy the new home. And it's going to be tougher for them to sell their their mid-range house or maybe their entry-level house that they bought a few years ago because that pool of buyers has now been, uh, you know, been hobbled by these new stress tests. So the whole industry is uh, is going to be impacted. But having said that, you know, we, we saw the um, real estate board numbers for uh, for January and February, and uh, and they were actually pretty good, right, compared to the previous year, which was no great shakes, right? And we'll see, uh, we'll see housing starts for um, for February on uh, Wednesday. Right, and, and this is Edmonton you're referring to, right? This is Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. this is Edmonton. That's right. And so, you know, even though we've seen, uh, you know, these buyers, uh, potential buyers, held back by these new regulations, year over year, uh, the market, at least here in Alberta and in Edmonton, that really hasn't uh, hasn't seen uh, a reduction, you know, like they have in Vancouver, where they brought in the uh, foreign buyer tax. So yeah, it's tougher for um, for buyers to get into the market. But on the other hand, you know, I think there's a general consensus out there that you know the worst of the recession is in the rearview mirror. So there and so there's got to be some pent up demand out there. People who you know uh, aren't feeling worried about their job situation have been thinking about. Uh, uh, trading up and uh, or buying if they're renting, and uh, you know, spring is uh, the spring selling season is uh, right around the corner, and uh, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, the housing starts numbers on Wednesday and see see how they shake out. But uh, you know, the board's numbers for February were uh, were actually uh, pretty good. Right. Okay. Now. 
you know, I spend a, a fair amount of time looking at uh, the business section of the papers online, etc. And, you know, you can't get through a day without seeing stories about, you know, a housing bubble or today it was international organizations saying there's a potential financial crisis brewing because of a housing bubble in Toronto or Vancouver. Do you think this is the case or is it a uh, question of media hype and maybe, uh, you know, stock traders trying to short financial companies? <laughs> oh, that's a that's an excellent question, Jason. Uh, you know, I, I think in in the Alberta case, uh, you know, we we really haven't seen the kind of price acceleration in uh, you know in the major markets in this decade, at least. Now, in the previous decade, there were some concerns. You know, uh, when I was at CMHC in the uh, in that period, uh, 2005, 2006, and partway through 2007, where markets really were accelerating and, and price growth was really making the mortgage insurance side of the business uh, uncomfortable. Where, you know, let's face it, we just haven't seen that over the past little while uh, in the Alberta markets. Right. And so those prices really haven't been pushed to the kind of levels that we've seen in places like Vancouver and Toronto. So I would say that the concern in Alberta and in Edmonton in particular, it just isn't there, right? You know, yeah. we've gone through a, you know, a fairly sizable recession and the house prices really haven't changed that much, right? You know, they've, you know, they've remained fairly flat, right? And so, you know, I would think that uh, more of a concern may be, you know, what's going to happen stateside with uh, with interest rates, and then how is our Bank of Canada going to respond? Because, uh, you know, it's one thing for them to say, well, you know, we don't think we're going to raise rates, but the bond market, as you know, uh, <laughs> five-year mortgages are based on, uh, you know, on the bond market, and the bond market in the United States and in North America is, uh, is kind of tilting in the direction that towards higher prices, right? You know, and, uh, you know, will we see some elevation in, in terms of uh, the mortgage rates? Uh, another rule that the Fed's brought in, you know, has to do with the, uh, you know, the types of, of reserves that banks have to uh, keep to cover their uh, mortgage debt. And so the general consensus is that, you know, banks' costs are going up and that uh, the customer is going to, uh, is going to feel that, right? You know, and so, uh, the bias, uh, and this is what I've been telling the you know the home builders, is that uh, you know maybe the days of these rock bottom interest rates are are going to be coming uh, to an end, and that uh, you know this time next year we could be looking at maybe a hundred basis point increase in the five year rate, right? And and that's going to have a sizable impact on people who can qualify, right? With that, uh, if that four point six four qualifying rate goes up to five point six four. Uh, by this time next year, then you're right. You know, there's a number of people that can afford to buy today that won't qualify this time tomorrow. So that, I think, is something to keep an eye on is, uh, you know, what Janet Yellen and uh, and the Fed do uh, as we go forward this year and what that does to bond markets and what that does to uh, mortgage rates. Right. One of the other rule changes that came into effect, and most people aren't aware of this, but um, in the good old days of the fall of 
2016, it was possible for lenders to do what was called uh, bulk portfolio insurance on low ratio mortgages. So what that means is, you know, they would take a group of mortgages where the loan to value was 80% or less. They would buy mortgage insurance behind the scenes on that bundle of mortgages and be able to sell it off into the pool. The result was that in uh, refinance transactions, homeowners were able to get rock bottom rates. Now we've got a situation where if you're, you know, a first time home buyer and you're putting 5% down and that's a gift from your family, you end up with a insured mortgage and consequently a lower interest rate than a homeowner who's been in their house for say 10 or 15 years has at least 20% equity and wants to refinance their uh, home for either renovations or investment purposes and so on. What's your take on that sort of a rule change and, and what's the impact going to be? You know, in terms of the the messages that are coming out of the industry is that, uh, you know, their inability to do the sorts of things that they used to do before to kind of spread the risk around is going to increase cost and is going to put upward pressure on, uh, you know, on rates. And uh, just because, uh, you know, a number of players may get uh, squeezed out of the marketplace, uh, you know, by, by some of these new rules and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, and back to my previous point is that uh, a number of these rule changes pretty much have been designed to uh, to either shift some of the risk away from CMHC onto lenders or to cool the markets in some fashion by making money more expensive, right? And uh, and so that was the, the name of the game was that, uh, you know, federal finance uh, wanted to see lenders, uh, uh, you know, to quote... Uh, Minister Morneau, that, uh, uh, or it might have been Evans at all, but uh, the CMHC president, but they wanted to see lenders with more skin in the game, right? That when lenders have more skin in the game, they have more risk, and that means that uh, they need to be rewarded by for that risk by by charging higher rates. Right. So you know, the, the bias, I guess, is to see these rock bottom rates start to edge upwards, right? That's going to be kind of a, a force that's going to hold back, you know, some of the recovery. Uh, you know, in, in the housing markets in Alberta, you know, it, it, as we go into 2018, right? We're going to have a you know an improving economy, hopefully the end of job losses and um, you know and some improvement in consumer sentiment. But on the other hand, uh, you know, financing is going to be more expensive, and uh, and that's going to make it uh, and it's also tougher for uh, first-time buyers to qualify. So that that's kind of you know pushing back against uh, you know a strong recovery. Right. Now, going back to the refinance aspect, yeah. the big five chartered banks, they are at an advantage to monoline or trust companies, you know, the first nationals or MCAPs of the world when it comes to the refinances. So that will have an impact on competition. And it could be that we see some of the smaller monoline lenders go away. Uh, surely the government would want increased competition, not less competition. 
Yeah, you know, that's definitely uh, sort of a, uh, you don't want to call it an unintended consequence of uh, these uh, these new regulations, but that's, uh, it definitely is the case, right, is that uh, you're right, some of these smaller uh, monoline uh, lenders uh, are, are going to be squeezed out by this, and, uh, you know, in terms of the financial industry and for uh, choice for the buyer, now uh, this is uh, this is uh, not a good thing, right? You know, because it uh, it leads to uh, you know concentration of uh, you know of activity in in bigger firms, right? But uh, it's sort of a, a consequence of these changes that uh, you know, in general, for the consumer, is not a positive thing, no. Right. So. If it's going to cost, let's say it costs the average family an extra third of a percent on their mortgage each year, right? And let's say the average mortgage is uh, $300,000 in Edmonton. So that's an extra $900 a year that's coming out of that family's pocket to pay for their mortgage, which would have otherwise been you know, less expensive under the old rules. What sort of impact do you see that having on household finances and, and therefore the economy? Yeah, I think it's just one of a number of things. You know, we've also got, uh, you know, carbon taxes that, uh, you know, are going to impact certain households in terms of uh, disposable income. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, in aggregate, it's definitely going to have uh, an impact, um, you know, as uh, people have to put more uh, money, you know, per year uh, into, um, you know, keeping a, a roof over their heads, right? So, uh, yeah, it has, a, you know, an impact in terms of trying to, you know, slow down, uh, you know, overall uh, economic activity. It's uh, kind of a, an inevitability of, um, you know, of, of higher rates. But again, the irony is it's not like the economy, at least in Alberta, is necessarily booming right now. <laughs> and certainly in other parts of the country, you know, there, there's weakness. So again, it's like everyone has ended up with a dose of medicine because of two markets that, you know, have a, a, an outsized or an extra sized impact on the, on the overall stats for the country. Yes, unfortunately, that's the case, right? Is when you look at the uh, Korea's uh, national average house price, right? And, uh, you know, and, and this is what makes the headlines in places like Toronto and Vancouver. House prices across Canada rise 10%. Well, when you crack the numbers and you look at the overall dollar volumes, that go into that national number and you see how much of that is in Toronto and Vancouver, those two markets, you're right, they have a very big impact on that national number. And that national number is the one that gets attention in the, you know, in, uh, you know, in the Department of Finance and, uh, and at CMHC. So, so unfortunately, uh, markets that aren't as strong, uh, you know, sort of get, they get caught in the crossfire on this. And uh, that's a part of the unfortunate part of when the federal government tries to fix a problem that really only exists in certain locations, right? You know, is that other places end up uh, just having a wet blanket thrown on them at a time when they didn't need it, right? And, uh, and, and, and I think 
you know, in all fairness to, uh, you know, to the Department of Finance and the CMHC, they understand this, right? And so they have to resist the calls for more action from those out there that are saying, oh, the housing bubble, the housing bubble. Well, you know, really, it's a, it's a problem maybe, maybe in Toronto, not anymore in Vancouver, thanks to the, um, you know, the kneecapping of uh, foreign buyers. So, you know, Ottawa has to resist these uh, temptations to take further actions because they could end up stalling the economy and uh, that could hurt them later on. Right. So do you think there's an actual bubble in Toronto? You know, I I try to stay away from those discussions, quite frankly. You know, like the uh, the price is what people are willing to pay on any given day, right? And uh, I, I think, you know, from CHBA's perspective, and they just put out a report today talking about, uh, you know, housing supply, particularly in markets like Toronto and Vancouver. And, and a lot of the issue is land supply, right? As builders cannot get uh, land at an affordable price to build affordable housing. Right. You know, like the mayors of Vancouver and Toronto talk about, oh, we need affordable housing, affordable housing. And then they turn around and create all kinds of barriers to development. Right. That cause a delay and drive up prices for builders. And it's very hard to do affordable housing in places like Toronto and Vancouver. Right. Uh, yeah, part of the problem is geography. Right. They're hemmed in by water and by mountains and so on. It's not like uh, Calgary and Edmonton where you're surrounded by nice flat farm fields that are very easy to develop, right? <laughs> so part of it is just supply, right? Supply and, of course, uh, demand, uh, particularly from uh, newcomers from outside of Canada, right? The, the Vancouver and Toronto have been and will continue to be sort of the major centers for attracting new Canadians. And, um, you know, and meanwhile, they've uh, got problems in terms of land supply. So, you know, their costs are up because it's a, it's a high-cost place to do business. Right. Was there no way for CMHC and the Department of Finance to take a regional approach to rural changes to rein in those two cities rather than uh, approach it with a uh, one brush fits all? There is, there is. Uh, you know, uh, CMHC uh, can can adjust its uh, insurance practices. Uh, you know. Uh, on certain geographies that it considers to be, uh, you know, overheated. But then you have the consequences where, you know, if they bring in, say, tighter rules in certain postal codes or certain counties or municipalities, they just get the spillover effect, right? You know, where uh, the, uh, you know, uh, demand will just shift to the adjacent uh, postal codes or the adjacent municipalities. So, so they, you know, they have their own by which they can adjust, uh, you know, how uh, risky they treat certain marketplaces. In general, their policies are, you know, universal access and their uh, insurance uh, products are available to all Canadians in all locations. And, um, you know, and and they're not likely to uh, to change that. Right. Now, one of the things that, you know, the average person might not be aware of is the default rate in Canada is, uh, you know, less than one third of 1%. And so, you know, CMHC, both on purchases and even more so on the low ratio mortgage insurance portfolio, that's a, or it was a huge revenue driver for, for CMHC and then consequently the government. So if that, like, what is the consequence of, you know, re- reducing that revenue? Well, you know, they, 
you know, they were told by uh, the OSFI that they needed to build their war chest and, uh, to protect themselves against possible, uh, you know, major claims. And from my own experience, uh, you know, working there, there's a, there's a big lag effect between, you know, when recessions end and when arrears start to rise, right? Uh, um, so, you know, for example, if you look at at Alberta, you've got close to record levels of people on EI, right? Now, a lot of those folks, their EI will run out. They won't find a job. They will uh, deplete all their savings, and then they will default on their mortgage. But that may not happen until like a year from now when the economy is actually recovering. So the economy will move into recovery, but arrears will actually continue to rise as a number of these folks um, have uh, depleted all their resources and finally cave in. So yes, uh, the default rate now is low, and uh, but I would argue that at least in Alberta that it will probably keep rising for the next year, year and a half, uh, as uh, as a number of these mortgages, uh, you know, that maybe in arrears finally go into default. But you're right. Uh, overall, you know, they're still in, uh, you know, in extremely good shape because the, uh, you know, nationally, the rate of uh, default is is definitely low. But, they, you know, the, that mortgage insurance fund, uh, you know, it needs to be built up, you know, for the day when uh, there really may be a major problem and uh, they don't want to be going to the government to be bailed out. Do you know what the default rate in Alberta is right now? No, I don't. No, I don't. No. It'd be, it'd be interesting to uh, to know that. My understanding, and you know, I only get this from what I read, but my understanding is that CMHC had done some very uh, extreme stress testing on its portfolio, uh, and what you know what would happen to the Canadian uh, market if there was you know massive, massive economic uh, trouble. And my understanding is that the stress tests were that you know, CMHC and, and therefore taxpayers would be fine. Is that the case? Yeah, that's my understanding as well, is that they are close to, I think, where uh, OSFI expects them to be in terms of uh, their level of reserve. And, and and that's been partially because they, you know, the amount of insurance that they're allowed to put on the books, I think, was capped at a certain level. And, and it's actually been dropping, right? They've actually been, you know, um, the amount of insurance they have in force has been moving downward as uh, as uh, you know mortgages uh, you know get uh, get paid out and uh, and meanwhile the amount that they are putting on the books you know has been restricted to a certain level so so they're so kind of gradually uh, lowering their uh, the level of exposure through time. Do you think there'll be any new rules uh, added, like either uh, you know sharing of loss amongst lenders or increased down payment requirements? I sure hope not. You know, increasing down payment requirements, uh, you know, from the home builders' perspective is really quite a you know a frightening prospect. Uh, you know, in in terms of trying to get uh, you know buyers in the door. You know, from the perspective in Alberta, you know, certainly don't see any kinds of uh, of changes warranted. Whether uh, we'll see uh, things, you know. Going forward, I think that's a great question. If rates are going to start to move up, and it seems to be that's where the risk is that rates are going to start to move up, we may see you know these uh, these hot markets start to uh, cool off all by themselves, and uh, you know, and there may be no further uh, action uh, you know warranted by uh, by Ottawa. Okay. 
Richard, do you have any other thoughts or comments or points you'd just like to make before we wrap things up? Oh, I think we've uh, we've kind of covered the waterfront. You know, I think going forward, uh, this is going to be kind of a, a transition year where you know some of the uh, low density builders uh, will start to uh, you know see some improvements in activity, whereas particularly the high rise condo uh, apartment uh, sector, there that's going to be extremely competitive uh, for a while yet. There's uh, you know still a lot of uh, new buildings that are rapidly up and uh, you know and so completion levels uh, are going to remain uh, fairly high through the year so there's going to be quite a bit of supply out there and you know and so that, that market's going to be very competitive so we won't see um, you know much in the way of, of uh, you know major projects starting this year I would say more next year with oh, and these would be developers that are looking down the road saying to themselves well you know Oh, I need to get in the ground now uh, because there is such a, a, you know, you think about, you know, a big concrete high-rise building between, you know, when the financing is done and when the keys are handed over to the buyer, there's like a, you know, 24-month lag. So developers are always uh, looking down the road and saying, you know, okay, the market's oversupplied now, but who's getting into the ground now, right? And uh, if I don't get, you know, I need to get into the ground now so that two years from now, I'll have product uh, ready for sale, right? Even though pre-sales are going to be very hard to do and it's going to be hard to get financing. Uh, so usually these are folks with deep pockets, deep pockets and, uh, you know, and a long-term vision. So in general, you know, two to five, well, let's say two to five years out, you know, you think Edmonton's market will be okay, the economy will be okay, and life will go on its merry way? Yeah, I, I, I guess the question is, uh, you know, and I've had these conversations with uh, the building industry pretty much constantly is, uh, you know, what is going to, uh, what's going to bring back the kind of rapid growth, uh, you know, that we saw in the previous boom periods, right? You know, and, and I guess it gets back to where we began our conversation about uh, about investment in the energy sector and, and in the oil sands, right? You know, if, if we're now going to be looking at a growth rate that is uh, closer to the national average, you know, that means that, uh, you know, new construction levels are going to return back to kind of the longer term average. So lower levels of activity, which I think for cities like uh, Calgary and, and Edmonton is probably a good thing, right? Because uh, you get more uh, orderly planning, more orderly development. Um, these boom and bust cycles, are, you know, are really brutal on the industry. And, uh, you know, whereas if you got into a nice steady growth situation where let's say in Edmonton, you know, we're looking at something like, you know, 10 to 12,000 starts every year, you know, at a more consistent basis basis. You know, I think for the industry that would, uh, you know, that would help them, uh, you know, in terms of their long-term planning, you know, because you think back to, you know, a few years ago where, you know, developers buy land that they don't expect to be actually a building on for five years out. So they're out there on the periphery buying land from Farmer Brown that, uh, that, that you know, is not going to be turned into houses 
for a number of years. And so they end up, if they don't watch out, overpaying for land, you know, and then the recession hits and suddenly they've got land that they paid way too much for, right? And, uh, you know, and so that's brutal. It's brutal on the industry. So a nice, more steady uh, growth rate, uh, I think, would be very welcome by the industry, right? You know, there's probably a number of players that are getting to the age where they're thinking about retiring. And uh, I was just down in uh, Medicine Hat and uh, that seems to be a situation there where it's that uh, they're definitely not building as many houses uh, as they were, uh, you know, back in the previous boom period. But people are quite happy with the pace of growth because a number of the a number of the older guys and gals, you know, the kind of that baby boom generation, they've stepped aside. And so, you know, the overall industry is not quite as big as it was before, but there's still lots of work going around, right? You know, and, uh, you know, and the growth is, uh, is steady and manageable, right? And so, you know, now we've got that baby boom echo generation that are now having kids themselves. And, uh, you know, and that's where the, that's where the new demand is coming from is the, the kids of the baby boomers who are now having kids, right? And, uh, you know, and that's where that growth is coming from. And, uh, you know, it's a fairly young population in Alberta. And, uh, you know, so lots of growth there from uh, young families that are going to be looking for homes. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see, you know, a nice steady rate of, uh, uh, of growth over the next few years. Right. Excellent. Well, Richard, thank you very much for your time today. I, I greatly appreciate your insights. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it was good. Good conversation.